Amen. Well, good to see you guys all here today. Welcome to our Unshakable series. This is the 15th week. Do you believe that? I think it's the longest series we've ever done. Going through uh, the book of Hebrews, and it's the theme verse is out of Hebrews chapter 12. The Bible says that we are receiving a kingdom that is, would you say this word, say unshakable. That while this world shakes, which is what this little video is showing, while this world shakes, we're receiving a kingdom. In Christ, we can live a life that is unshakable. Before I get going in the message, I need to say hi to all of our friends up at Life Church Midcoast, up in Bath. You guys watching on the other side of the screen. We love you guys. It's good to be with Kim and Kevin. We went, went to a conference just this past week for a few days and good to spend time with them. And Kim paid me the biggest compliment. Kim, thank you so much. I was, we were standing there in an ice cream shop and she was hitting me on the arm saying, honey, honey, she thought I was Kevin. Kevin's almost 10 years younger than me. His hairline is in the right place. And I, th- I took that as a huge compliment. So Kim, thank you. That was the warmest compliment I've received in a long time. Hey, we love you guys and it's just good to be with you. Well, I grew up hearing uh, a line in church a lot that we're going to analyze a little bit today. Hopefully it'll be helpful to you. But I heard this a lot. And everything you hear from the pulpit is true, of course. And you just say amen. And, and this is true, but it, I don't know, it kind of had a dark side to it that I didn't analyze in those years. And, and that was this, we serve a God of miracles. And the next line was always this, that when God shows up, miracles happen. And I mean, that's something I heard all the time. When God shows up, it, it took me a lot of years later to realize that that statement had an odd dark side. And the dark side was, is that when miracles aren't happening, when weird, strange things aren't happening and the popcorn isn't happening, isn't, isn't popping, well, I guess God's not here. Because if God were here, miracles would be happening. And that takes us to the next, uh, in, we've been going through Hebrews chapter 11, just each individual, and each, each individual so far has been demonstrating faith, kind of the theme of this whole series is without faith, it's impossible to please God. And, and out of Hebrews 11, it's interesting, we see what real faith looks like. And real faith in character after character is them in a difficult spot. God had them in a difficult spot and, and they stepped out into some fearful situations. If you're there, if, hopefully you've opened to Hebrews chapter 11. If you look at like at verse 23, these are the, the, the last three that we've just looked at. It was Moses' parents, they hid him. They were in a dangerous spot and they had the, the, the faith to try to save their baby. It was, they, it was real hardship, real danger. All right, verse 24, the next one. Moses, when he grew up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, so he's in a dangerous spot. He, you know, he really, and he ended up really losing his place in that Egyptian kingdom and you know, left the palace to go be with his people. But again, there was fear involved. It was, it was a dangerous move. Verse 28, the one just before, it was by faith. Moses commanded the people of Israel to keep the Passover and to sprinkle blood on the doorpost so the angel of death would not kill their firstborn sons. Who, think that, who thinks that might have been a kind of a freaky night, a scary night? The angel of death is going through the land. Yeah, I mean, each and every one of these situations is them doing the right thing, stepping out where they were tempted not to, where, they were, where there was fear there. And then we come to the very next one, which doesn't seem to fit. Verse 29 now. We're up to verse 29. Here's the next example of faith. It was by faith that the people of Israel went right through the Red Sea. Now, gosh, at least in my mind, the Red Sea has always been that one miracle that stood out from the rest, and it didn't take any faith. I mean, we all know that the parting of the Red Sea looks something like that. 
I mean, how much faith does it take? I mean, this is a party, man. You're going across, high-fiving each other, woo-hoo, putting on suntan lotion, saying, woo-hoo, yes. It's good to be on the right side. But is that the real picture? Somehow, it makes this chapter where they were tempted to fear. And here's the problem is I think, and I know for myself in all those years, when you have a wrong thinking about miracles and ultimately about God, and you kind of think that what miracles are is God just proving, and, and this is God proving his existence. Well, let me do this. Let me, I'm going to read you a quote. Uh, this is from a, a Muslim individual, not to critique their faith, but I think a lot of Christians feel this way. This is a Muslim man stating what, what would happen if God showed up. Here's what he says. Allah would tell everyone, God is great, very great. He would make everyone believe in him. And if someone refused, he would die. That's what would happen if Allah came here. Again, I'm only reading that because I think a lot of Christians have that. I, I, honestly, that was my theology maybe 20 years ago that God's a God of miracles and, it, and, and miracles are all about God proving he's God. And, and the Red Sea, that this was, this was God just proving he's God. Well, let's back up from this just a little bit. If you guys know the story, the reason that the Red Sea parted is the Israelites are, this is God delivering them from 400 years in Egypt. Which interestingly enough, if you remember the story, God prophesied that to Abraham that his descendants would spend 400 years in a nation not their own. God, it was by God's design that they were in Egypt. So God put them there for 400 years and then he promised to come and deliver them, which he did. And you guys remember the story that before there was the Red Sea, there were the 10 plagues of God, you know, coming and striking Egypt so that Pharaoh would let the people of God go. Let's just take a quick look at those 10. And again, my mind was always, at least, you know, 20 years ago, that that was just God proving he's God. Let me take, show you something odd here. I'm going to show you the 10 plagues through the eyes of an atheist. Do you know that it's kind of challenging to just say nothing happened because there's a lot of history here. I mean, there's things in, Muslim, in Egyptian history stating these things. So it's, it's, it's difficult to say. Do you know that there's no such thing as an educated historian who say, will say that Jesus never walked the earth? He can't say that. I mean, he split time in half. It, so he existed, but they just have, have a different spin on him. Okay, well, so what's the atheist spin on these things? Now, here's, here's what's interesting. They've got an interesting thread going here. Uh, the first one was the Nile turning to blood. And well, <laughs> duh, toxic algae bloom due to the extended drought, which there was a drought. And, and so obviously, to, I mean, that makes sense, right? Turns the, turns the Nile to what appears to be blood, okay? And here's, what's re, here's where it gets really interesting, is there's a thread that goes from one to the next. Now, the result of that, because the second plague was frogs, millions of frogs came up onto the land. Well, if the Nile is turned to blood, of, of course the frogs are going to come up. Now, now, they kind of ignore the fact that these plagues started when Moses said they would and stopped, you know, but, but you know, ignore that. There's a natural explanation, okay? Now, just examine this one. Now, did you know, here's another little interesting piece. If you go back and read it, the first three plagues, the Israelites experienced themselves. These frogs came up in the land of Goshen as well, you know, where the Israelites were. Even the good team got this. So can you imagine? I mean, there's not much harm here. I mean, how much harm can Kermit do, right? But they sure are a pain in the rear end. Can you imagine? And this was several days, and the Bible specifically says that they even came up onto their beds. 
Now, if this is several days, I mean, the first night, I'm sure nobody's sleeping, right? I mean, are you going to sleep with frogs hopping across? You're probably going to, you're just going to fight them, right? But second or third night, what are you going to do? It's like, good night, Mary Ellen. Good night, John boy. Good night, Kermit. <laughs> and you're just going to sleep with frogs. So, so that was, now, but I really do have a point here. The point is, is this is the order that God intentionally conducted these plagues. And Pharaoh hardened his heart after they stopped. You've got to see this. God, in, everybody say intentionally. God intentionally did these things in such a way that if you wanted not to believe, he's giving you an out. And he always does it that way. Remember the theme of this entire series is without faith, it's impossible to please God. This is not God. If God were just proving he was God, he could show up and do things far more supernatural than this. This leaves a window open to natural causes. And for people to say, well, just ignore that it starts and stops with Moses. Just, just, God intentionally did it. Why? Why? Because God wants faith. And faith is never produced by God just popping off miracles. That's not how faith happens. Faith is in our hearts. Faith is following after him. Well, this being the case, you know, God is doing things in, in such a way that he's, he's in increasing the faith of his people, all right? Now let's go to the Red Sea. Again, the ultimate miracle, which I think in most people's minds is just God, no, no faith required. Well, if you go back and read it, the Bible actually gives us very little information, very little detail. Well, you know, enough. But here's what the Bible does tell us about them going through the Red Sea. It says that the God sent a strong east wind and that the water walled up. Okay, now again, when we picture that, you know, go back and there, there it is. But we never, I think we don't, we don't think through this. The, the Bible specifically tells us this is being caused by a wind. So now go two ahead. And is it possible that it looked a little bit more like that? That if wind is pushing water back, now picture this guy going into this and it's just starting to wall up here and it's just being pushed back. Gang, for this to make Hebrews chapter 11, it took faith to step out in it. Here's what I think it actually was like. And interestingly enough, we have a little bit more information. 40 years later, the Israelites crossed another body of water that walled up, and that was the River Jordan. It was at flood stage, and the Bible gives us a little more information about this one. And it specifically tells us, interestingly enough, that the water didn't stop until their feet were in the water. Now, why would God do that? because that's the way he always does things. He wants faith on the part of his people. He doesn't want to just do it himself. He wants faith. So their, their, their feet were in the water. I think it's exactly the same in this situation. And why it took faith is, the, is as this wind blew it back, the leaders were facing it. They were in it. Their feet were getting wet. And again, the Bible tells us it was a wind. And in our mind, this was just a party. They're high five, you know, everybody's high-fiving each other, putting on suntan lotion, saying, woohoo! Do you think they're feeling this wind? How much wind is it taking? Gang, they're walking through a hurricane. Now, obviously, God protected them from, you know, being destroyed by this hurricane. But the point is, do you think anybody might have gotten splashed? You think so? Gang, in reality, this was freaky. And especially for the leaders walking out 
Every step was like, dear Jesus, don't fail me now. (laughs) They knew good and well if God so much as hiccuped, they're a goner. I mean, if that wind just took one eighth of a second off, just a little break, they're gone. It took faith. And here's the thing about your life. Unfortunately for us, we have to lead our own life. We don't get to be 12th in line in our life. We have to lead it. And that's a pretty good picture of the faith that God requires in our own life. Yes, he shows up. And if you're hearing my message today that God doesn't do miracles, you're missing the point. Those miracles probably aren't going to look the way you'd like them to look. They're probably not just going to be so wild and awesome. They're probably going to require you to step out and God shows up and does things. Our our Pray for One campaign, we ask and we're never going to quit, gang. I pray this every day. God, send me one person today. Send me somebody today to share your love with. And more often than not, I feel like I've found that person. And, you know, I'm not getting weird. I'm not preaching in the grocery store, but I'm, I'm just doing everything I can just to stretch myself, just to have that conversation, just open a door and see what God does. But you know what? More often than not, it feels a little scary. It feels like I've got to step in a little bit just to get my feet wet a little bit. And we don't want that. We want God to just plant somebody in our door who shows up and knocks on the door and says, can I come to church with you? And we know, oh, well, that's God. <laughs> Hallelujah. That's not the way he wants. He wants our life to be a cooperation with him. It's always been that way. Now, here's the real problem with the theology that when God shows up, there's miracles. Is it, it creates the dark side of when there's not miracles or when at least in your brain, there, there aren't miracles and I lived this, gang, where I was depressed. I was, like, discouraged because the majority of my life is like, God, come on, man, show up. Here's the, here's the hard part. Guys, you know the story. God put them in Egypt for 400 years. And just my appreciation for alliteration, just, just go with me here. So 400 years of hard and four hours of hallelujah. That's, that's the, it would have taken one of them. Now, to get the whole nation through, it would have been much, probably took them all night, but... One individual probably took about four hours to get through. Gang, if your only hallelujah, if your only moment of God showing up, if your only moment of rejoicing and feeling the presence of God and loving God and knowing God and experiencing God, if, if that's your only hallelujah, life stinks. Because for every one of those, you're going to have a lot more of those. Anybody besides be discovered that life has a way of being challenging. It just does. You get through one and there's always something. Now, God's grace is bigger than gravity, so thank God, but gravity's always pulling. There's always something, right? So, now, the next story is interesting. If you guys remember this, anybody know what happened exactly on the heels? In fact, their four days of hell started while they're in the water. That would have been the first day and let me just read it to you. This is, this is directly on the heels of them coming out of the Red Sea. The Bible says this, that Miriam sang to them. So they're just on the other side of the Red Sea. They've gotten to the other side. Miriam is singing. To, Miriam grabs the karaoke mic, and she's leading them in, in the song, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and the rider are thrown into the sea. Did you guys learn that song? You don't know that one? All right. It was a cool one. 
Next verse. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. That's the Sinai Desert, we call it today. And they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. And two verses later, the Bible says this. There God tested them. So God intentionally, their, their first moment in the, the, this, the highest, most miraculous thing they ever saw was the test had already begun. They've already started a period of no water. Now, they're surrounded by water, but God's obviously in the mood to hold back water because he's not only holding back the Red Sea, they found no water. Now, I read a report from an atheist doctor, and of all the miracles in the Bible, he chose this one, the one of them going four days in the Sinai Desert with no water, he chose that to be the one to prove that the Bible's not true, couldn't be true. To him, the Red Sea is a small potatoes compared to this. See, it's, it's been hot the last few days. Has anybody enjoyed the heat? How many of you enjoy that heat? Well, add about 30 degrees to that. Take away all the humidity. You're in the Sinai Desert, and he had all the stats and all the way of proving it that in that four days without water in that climate, and he, you know, bottom line could prove that every, chi- every baby for sure is dead, and every child, you know, start, and, and a lot of adults are dead. Well, a couple things. Number one, he's assuming that they took no water with them. We don't know. The Bible doesn't say. I would presume that they did. But the Bible's very clear that they were, at the end of this, these days, the Israelites were complaining. They were, in a, they were in a really, really tough spot. What is my point? If that's your only hallelujah, the Bible's perfect. God says it, this was intentional. What is, he, what is the test? What is God looking for? What does he expect? The same thing he, ex- he expected. The same thing of them, the same thing he expects of all of us. He ex- expects us to understand that he is God. He is at work. And he, if he's put me here right now, if I'm facing this, there's a, there's a purpose. Everybody say there's a purpose. There's a purpose. And when I know there's a purpose, this is hallelujah. That's what he's looking for. You don't just get four hours of hallelujah. Here's my point, gang. Until this is hallelujah, and this is hallelujah. And we know from there, they went from 40 to 40 years in the wilderness. Gang, if we're going to enjoy God, and if we're, how many, anybody here want to enjoy life? Enjoy God and enjoy life? Well, then that's going to have to be hallelujah, and that's going to have to be hallelujah, and that's going to have to be hallelujah. By the way, if I ask any questions during this service, hallelujah is probably a good answer. That would be like the answer of the day. Because it is. That's the answer. That's what... It, not just saying the word. There's no magic rabbit's foot in saying the word, but hallelujah is, means praise God. That's what he's looking for, this awareness that God, you're with me. God, you've got a purpose. You've got a purpose here. You've got a purpose here. You've got a purpose here. Hallelujah! That, my friend, keeps parting waters. That keeps the waters parting in front of you. And that makes the whole thing enjoyable. That opens your heart and opens your eyes to experience God as he is. Now, let's go from here to the New Testament because I know a lot of people have, you know, a theology that when Jesus came, he changed everything. And no, for sure, Jesus brought a new covenant, no question. But did God change? Did God put on a new hat? You know, after Christ came to the earth or, you know, God comes to the earth. No, no, God didn't change, gang. No, again, don't, don't miss it. I'm not, my, this is not the anti-miracle sermon, all right? I'm, we're, if you stick with me, I think God's showing up all the time. He's here. He's working things out. He's working miraculously all the time. 
We just need to get our head on straight. So Jesus comes, and if you listen to some people, I mean, ever since Jesus, everybody gets their miracle. Well, let's look at one story. We're going to look at, this is an artist's rendition of, kind of an odd rendition, but it's an artist's rendition, 100 years old, of the Pool of Bethesda. If you know the story, let me, let me read you the story. The, first of all, the Bible tells us that this, that this Pool of Bethesda was the story of Jesus. By the way, this is Jesus. You can always pick out Jesus because he has a glow around his head. And if you get to heaven and you're confused, look for the guy with the glow on his head. That's Jesus. <clears throat> I don't think you'll have a hard time picking him out. But nonetheless, here's the story. The Bible tells us that, number one, it says that this was during a, a Jewish festival. Okay? Now, Jewish, Jerusalem was a crowded place anyways. But during these festivals, hundreds of thousands of people just mobbed. That's, that's the only place the temple was, okay? So hundreds of, th- I mean, and here's what the Bible says. During this festival, crowds, everybody say crowds. Crowds of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, lay on porches. And one of the men, we don't have time to read the whole thing, but one of them received their miracle, all right? One of them, Lying there had been sick for 38 years. One of the men lying there, 38 years. When Jesus saw him, knew he had been ill for a long time, Jesus asked him, listen to the question Jesus asked him, would you like to get well? So according to the story, it's you know, this guy, Jesus is ministering to this. This is, this is the guy that, that gets healed. Been there 38 years. Now, how in the world he got so jacked sitting there for 38 years? I don't really know. <laughs> He's been doing a wicked lot of plyo, I guess. <laughs> doing crunches. and <laughs> I wish I could live an artist's rendition of me. But nonetheless. And gang, I really only, like every sermon I ever preach, I always only have one point. If you haven't figured that out, I always only have one point. And the one point today is hallelujah. And here's, here was my life for many years. Here's my concern is because life has an interesting way for all of us. Life has an interesting way of making us all feel more like that guy than that guy. Here's an interesting thing. Even that guy felt like that guy, even after his miracle. Listen to the story. You ever think about why in the world would Jesus ask him, do you want to be healed? Well, think about it. He's been here for 38 years. Obviously, there's some sort of welfare system in place to feed him. There's obviously some sort of shelter here where where he can survive here. And again, without thinking about it, we just think, well, a miracle, that just answers every question, right? What happens two seconds after his miracle? He just goes back to Wayne Manor where the servants attend to him, right? Where does he go? He has no skills. He has no life. The only life he's known is here. He's going out into the unknown. He's going out where, I mean, all his friends are here. What is my point? Even the big miracle doesn't answer every question. It's still, this guy felt like this guy five minutes after his miracle. He's like, now what? And again, let me just say this again, because we, we all have this interesting way of thinking that I'm, I'm the only one. I'm the only one who feels this way. I am the only one who feels like there's challenges. I'm the only one who feels like life is scary. It's that way for all of us. Do you want to know why? 
because God set it up that way. This short little life we have, this is your testing period. This is it. Now, 68 trillion years from now in eternity, we're going to look back and say, what was I freaking out about? Why couldn't I figure it out? Gang, that you have one chance, and the Bible says that this life is a vapor. There's going to be a time we look back in our life and go, poof, he was just gone. You have one chance to prove that you trust him. One shot. This is it. And he's intentionally, everybody say intentionally, intentionally going to put you in spots where it looks like he's not there. He's intentionally going to put you in spots where you feel like that guy. Even when you're that guy, you still feel like, I need God. This is your chance to say what? You got it. I have four hours of notes left, but you guys, the the last two services, they never got it this close, so I guess I can wrap it up now, right? This is your one chance to say in that place, hallelujah, hallelujah. God, you are with me. God, you are with me. God, you have a plan. God, you've got a purpose. You know what's really hard? Let me tell you what's really hard, and we've all lived this. You know what's really hard? What's really hard is not just having a problem, pain, or, or a financial crisis. Or, those are hard. Let me tell you what's really hard is when we start listening to that voice, the Bible says that there is an accuser on this planet called Satan, and he comes to every human being, and, he's, and why, would he change, why would he change songs? The one song he sings works so well. He sings the same song. The reason you're struggling is you're defective. Something wrong with you. And once you listen to that, how deep of an autopsy do you have to do to find something wrong with me? As soon as you start, as soon as you start listening to that, you look at yourself, you're like, oh, there it is. Yeah. And he's right. I'm a loser. I mean, we can all find, friends, that's a human condition. We were born into sin. There's, there's something on your best, holiest day, you still have bad breath, right? I, I, you get my point? There's still something less than perfect. So what's the answer? The answer is a real hallelujah that starts on your toenails and recognizes God is with me. The the number one most commonly repeated command in all the Bible, you know what it is? Fear not, for I am with you. God has the audacity to expect you to understand that he's so with you, so much, 24-7, seven days a week, so, so pervasive, that whatever you face, whatever you face, fear not. I'm with you. He repeats that 300 times. Fear not. I'm with you. Ooh, God, I wish you'd show up in a way I could see you a little more. Could you show up, God? Could you put some skin on real quick? <laughs> fear not. Gang, I, I've got to move on. But we all feel like that guy. We all do. And the answer is hallelujah. A hallelujah that is real. It's not just the word. It's, it believes, it knows God is with us. I want to read you an interesting story and then we're going to wrap this up. A man writes about a time when the church he attended in Chicago faced something of a crisis. Can you believe a church would have a crisis? How could a church have a crisis? Well, obviously they did not have Tom Pequeno on staff. Obviously, <laughs> because there's no crisis when you got super Tom. All right. They didn't have Tom, so they had crisis. All right. Some of us young hipsters 
suggested an all-night prayer vigil. They just thought it would be cool. They had never prayed an hour, much less all night, but just it sounded cool. An all-night prayer vigil. But then we debated, was it safe, given our inner-city neighborhood? It's kind of an inner-city church. Should we hire guards or escorts for the parking lot? Their next question was this, what if no one showed up? I mean, they weren't planning on spending it all night, so what if no one showed up? At length, we discussed the logistics and the practicality of such an event, but not sure anybody would show up. Nevertheless, the night of prayer was scheduled. The guy telling the story says this, to my surprise, the poorest members of the congregation, a group of senior citizens from a housing project were the ones who responded most enthusiastically to our prayer vigil. The guy says, I couldn't help but wondering how many of their prayers had gone unanswered over the years, considering the fact that they lived in the projects after all, amid crime, poverty, suffering. The one woman who seemed to be the lead, she was blind. Surely they had asked God to deliver them from their spot and yet here they were and they all showed a childlike faith in God and in the power of prayer. How long do you want to stay? I asked, thinking that they would never that they would, people would cover shifts, not expecting anyone to stay long. Oh, we'll stay all night, they replied. One black woman in her 90s who walked with a cane and was blind explained. You see, now I'm going I'm to read it exactly like he's written it and try to use my 90-year-old woman's voice. You see, there's lots of things we can't do in this church. We ain't so educated and we ain't got as much energy as some of you younger folks but we can pray. We got time and we's got faith. Some of us don't sleep much anyways. We can pray all night if needs be. And they did. Meanwhile, a bunch of yuppies in a downtown church learned an important lesson that faith often appears where least expected and it falters where it ought to thrive. He's saying that he and this group of young guys, you know, trying to get this church going. He, he expected them to be the, the faith people. And he discovered a faith. In his mind, he couldn't even comprehend. Praying all night? How do you do that? And here's this woman. who It was no problem. She probably didn't have to close her eyes. She's blind. Helped her out a little bit. Could just connect with God. Just say, that, say connect with God could connect with God in such a way that she could just stay there all night. Now, gang, I don't know if you've ever been even close to that spot, but that's fun. That is life. Now, I'm not saying you have to be blind and you have to be poor. Oddly enough, they are benefits to getting there, proven time and time again. But that, what, what, what is that? That spot where you are leaning on God, that's what he wants. You guys remember uh, Jesus' first sermon? Do you suppose Jesus was like me and his first sermon kind of stunk? And then he kind of, you know, he got better. He, he, he amped it up after that. You, th- you suppose? Or do you suppose when God first shows up, Jesus first, do you suppose, he, you suppose his first sermon, when God shows up, you probably should pay attention to his first words? You think? Well, here's Jesus' first words. The sermon on the Mount's first recorded sermon of Jesus. First words out of his mouth, probably important. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him. This is talking about poverty of spirit. You don't have to be physically poor. But oddly enough, 
Jesus' first words are, the people who really get it, the people who are really happy, the people who are really blessed, are the ones who recognize their need for God, are the desperate. Now, you, you can be, you can have money and be desperate. It, it is a challenge, oddly enough, but, but you can do it. The, the very next thing, he says, God blesses those who mourn. Now, now, these are the two things we spend our entire life fighting. This 15-week series, every, I think every week out of these 15, we've been using these two arrows. This, every human being has been born on this arrow. The Bible reveals that we're all born seeking up. Me, me, a rock star. And we kind of expect, at least 20 years ago, in the miracle mentality, that's kind of what I always expect. That, you know, miracles, in my mind, fit that. God just kind of, and I expected miracles to be popcorn. Like that guy, you know, the, at the pool of Bethesda. I expected God, you know, not just, don't just heal me, God, but let's do, a, let's do a series of miracles. Let's do popcorn miracles. I get healed, hallelujah. And then I look down and there's a million dollars in my pocket, hallelujah. I look in the mirror, my hairline is back where it should be, hallelujah. I look down, I have a six-pack abs, hallelujah. And in that place, in the series of popcorn miracles, I can say, Hallelujah. There's, you know, do we realize how far from the heart of God that is? How far from the entire reason for being on this planet? It's like you can't even, you couldn't miss it much bigger than that. God wants faith. Yes, he wants to do things. He wants to do things through his people. He wants to walk with you and talk with you and step out in those waters. And yes, he wants to part waters. He wants a series of miracles, but they're going to be a little scarier than you probably expected. And they're going to involve you doing some things you might not like to do. I'm going to wrap up with this, but this is our vision, transform lives. Everything we do here, everything, everything, even the picnic tonight, there's a goal in everything we do to get you to connect because we've discovered if you'll do these four things, your life, you, you can't fight it. If you'll do these four things, your life will be transformed. You, it is entirely possible. A transformed life is within your reach. A life where you wake up excited. Wake up glad that God put me here and now, and God, you've got a purpose for me here and now. That, that is entirely within your reach. I hope, I hope you'll jump on board with us and go for the ride because it works. But here's my phrase to wrap up the service. A transformed life trusts God for his miraculous power. This is not the anti-miracle sermon. Let's just see it for what they are. Even the big ones require stepping in the water. They're kind of scary. Trust God for his miraculous power to give you everything you need for a fulfilling life of service. The other line that we've been talking about, this line that is this unshakable faith, it's a low line. It's a line of service. It's a life of giving yourself to God's purposes. It's not a popcorn life. It's a life of, God, what did you put me here for? The, the reason this arrow goes off the chart is this is, this is eternity. This is the kingdom that's already here. This is the life Jesus came to model. He lived it. Gang, if you look at the real Jesus, while the Bible says he was acquainted with grief and sorrow, he, he lived it. But you know what? He lived. He, he, didn't just, he was, wasn't just acquainted with sorrow. He had more fun than all of us put together. He did. Those disciples, they were so tight. There was so much love and joy. I mean, again, his first miracle was turning water into wine. He's just making a, he's, he's putting on a demonstration that he is here. He's showing us that the real party is down here. The real party is serving God and serving his people. That's the life. 
And you know what I've discovered? That when that's my motive and that's my thought process, that's my goal, I think I see a lot of miracles. They're usually not wild, but I see miracles. I see God doing things. God has intentionally set it up so the people of faith end up saying, wow, wow, that was God. And people without faith, it, happened, it all happened in such a way that people without faith don't even believe he was there. Only God could do that. Be that pervasive that people of faith are just, wow. People without faith don't even think he's there. That's God. And that's what he wants. He wants a life of faith. Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me? I wonder if there's anybody else that was just kind of living like I did some years back and you're waiting for your hallelujah. You're waiting. And right now, there hasn't been too much hallelujah. There hasn't been too much. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, for your purpose here and now. You're waiting. I'm not telling you that God's not coming through. That's not my point. But it's here and now. I wonder if I'm talking to anybody who could use a few more hallelujahs right here and right now that you recognize, man, I need to I need to start here and now. I need to start praising God. I need to recognize God's purpose now. If that's you, nobody's looking around. I just want to pray for you. If that's you, would you lift your hand up right there where you're seated? Say, ah, oh, that's me. That's me. Yes, there's miracles coming, but he's here and now. Let me ask one more question and we're going to wrap up. Just put your hands down. Let me ask one more question. I wonder if you're here and you'd say, man, you believe in God. You believe in Jesus. He came to this earth. You know he's real. But he's more out there. You're not walking that line. You haven't yielded your life fully to him. You're not excited about that life of service to him. That's really not your life right now. But just as you hear his word and, and his spirit, this is how he works. He wants you to respond to him in faith. That's what he's looking for. If you're here and you'd say, I'm ready. I'm ready to respond in faith. He's re- it's clear enough. He showed himself enough to me. I'm ready to yield my life to him fully and completely. If that's you, would you raise your hand right there where you see it? Raise your hand. Say, man, that's me. Done going my own way. Several hands were lifted. Just, just so they, let's all join them in prayer. So it just won't be them alone. Let's all pray this out loud. Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice for me. You came to this earth, lived a perfect life, and you died on that cross for me. You bore my sin and my punishment and my pain, and by your wounds, I am healed. Father, I just pray in Jesus' name for every last one of us that we will leave here with an eternal hallelujah a hallelujah that cannot be repressed, an awareness that you are with us right here, right now, and we are not afraid. Yes, God, we are going to see miracles, but God, we see it already. We see it right here, right where we're at. Thank you, God, for your amazing grace. We pray all this in Jesus' name. And everybody says...